everyone, it's Shane, and this week, well, it's been a little chaotic for Sam and I. There have been construction workers in the house, schoolwork is ramped up for the both of us, and honestly, technology has not been on our side. Sam and I know that we are not professional podcasters, but we still like to put out good content and good quality content. So when we know that that is impossible for whatever reason, we don't want to leave you guys hanging without hearing anything from us. So this week, we will be re-releasing the episode on the murder of Karina Mullen. If you're new to us, or if this is one of your first listens, this might be one of the first episodes you listen to, and if so, that's cool. If not, we hope you guys enjoy the re-release. We thank each and every single one of you for continuing to listen to us week in and week out. We definitely appreciate all of your support. We would love to hear from you guys, so if you want to reach out to us, you could do that on Instagram at monstersandmurderpod, or you can email us at monstersandmurderpod at gmail.com. Again, thank you all for listening. I do want to give you a quick update. Next week, we will be coming back with a brand new episode, and we have a lot of fun episodes planned for the future that we think you will enjoy, both on the true crime side and on the supernatural side. So, until next week... Thanks again, everyone. Stay safe. Good evening, or morning, or whenever you're listening. Welcome to another episode of Monsters and Murder. I'm Sam. And I'm Shane. And tonight we're going to talk about some murder. Um... (laughs) <laughs> I'm th- this rain is like killing me I think I'm like getting super old because when it's nasty outside I just feel my body shutting down my mm-hmm. back aching today yep I feel you I did a yeah. lot of walking and traipsing a lot a lot of stairs which I'll talk more about next week but I came home I'm like I could legit go to bed at 530 me too <laughs> I got home and I it was I got home about four and I was like okay I'm definitely putting on my pajamas mm-hmm. I'm so tired and I also need to go back to the chiropractor and I haven't been in like two months so it's definitely time my body is screaming at me to go back to the chiropractor mine is screaming at me for acupuncture I've got to start that back oh, yeah, because it's so been, helpful you haven't been since like last year I know it's 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 terrible because I quit in the winter because I'm like it's gonna be really really cold and when you have actu- acupuncture for those of you that don't know um, you need to be in, I don't say like less clothes, you don't really have to strip or anything, but they do like, you know, for when they get your like back or shoulders or stomach, you do either have to take your shirt off or just raise it up enough to where they can get what they need. Well, they'll have heat on. Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, they'll have heat and the table's a little heated, but it's still yeah. always super chilly. Yeah. Your body would acclimate. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and get in. And before I get in, I'm going to go ahead and give a trigger warning. <clears throat> I've warned Shane. This one's pretty rough. I'll give trigger warnings when I'm starting to talk about it again. But I'm going to give a trigger war- warning for brutality and for rape. So, just a heads up. I'll let you know when it's coming. But just want to let you know it's coming. All right. Okay. So, tonight I'm going to talk about the murder of Karina Mullen. Okay. Took place in Kentucky. You know what I've discovered? What's that? I <clears throat> Cases from the 80s. Mm-hmm. Seem to speak to me more than any other time frame. Even more so than the 90s? I like the 90s, but there's something about the 80s. Mm-hmm. Not that, you know, it's, I'm not glorifying a crime that happened in the 80s. It's just, no. I think it's just, I, you know, I was born in the 80s, so I mm-hmm. didn't actually grow up in the 80s, but there's something about the music and the clothes. 
I feel like I should have been born a decade earlier and I should have grown up in the 80s because something about it just speaks to me. Uh huh. <laughs> so, all right. Karina Lynn Mullen, also known as Rini, was born on September 1st, 1967, in Kirkwood, Missouri. She was the oldest of four children. Her parents were Claude and Patricia. She had two younger sisters, Heather and Dina, <laughs> and a younger brother, Donald. Claude had served in the Army during Vietnam, and then he became a factory worker at Motor Wheel in Lansing, Michigan. And as was very typical at the time, Patricia was a homemaker and spent her days taking care of her children and, like, doing everything because that's what stay-at-home parents do. Like, mm-hmm. they're doctors, they're yeah. lawyers, they're chefs, maintenance workers, teachers. Absolutely. They do everything. Mm-hmm. So she had a full-time job doing that because, you know, she had four kids. That's a lot of kids. That is. That really, yeah. truly is. I wanted to ask you, because you said they were from Missouri, right? Yes. So, did they call him Claude, or do you think it was Claude? <laughs> I have no idea. I didn't know. Is there, like, a dialect in Missouri? Uh, I don't know about Missouri. I just remember a character from Mama's family. His name was Claude, and she they always called him Claude. Oh, maybe <laughs> so. I feel like that's a very southern thing. Exactly. And honestly, I think Mama's family takes place somewhere down there, maybe. Where are they? Where is that? Where is that? Uh, what's their town called again? So it's called Raytown, and I've actually Raytown. read about this because I'm not trying to like derail your story or oh, anything. Oh yeah, that's fine. Um, but there's an episode like when she's learning to drive. The license plate is a Missouri license plate. Oh, I did not know that. Me is either. Raytown I always thought she was like in Tennessee or something. Yeah, I was thinking somewhere like that too, like somewhere in the south, mm-hmm. or maybe I mean, even like Texas. I don't think she was. I don't think it was definitely Texas, but she's definitely a southern state. And they always say the Tri Cities, which of course we have Tri City. There's Tri Cities everywhere. Yeah, and in North Carolina, I have learned. But yeah. but yes, I just that just came to mind. I was like, I wonder if he was Claude or Claude. Do you know, I don't know. I'm anyway, sure. um, well, even though she was born in Missouri, when she was about ten years old, her parents made the decision to move from Kirkwood, Missouri. To Rockport, Michigan. I mean, Rockport, Kentucky. Because, like, her parents felt that things would be safe and quieter for their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, in Like, in a small town. Because where they were at, things were kind of getting... It wasn't like, you know, a big metropolitan city. But things were getting a little bit more violent. Yeah. And they just did not want to raise their kids in that environment. I don't blame them. So they moved from a bigger city to a tiny, tiny town of Rockport. Um, Karina was really close with her family, so, mm-hmm. you know, she, I, I don't think any of the kids, I mean, they were children, but, you know, it was fine moving. Yeah. Of course, they missed their friends, but they were super close with her family. So, when they get into Rockport, um, it actually got its name because there's a bunch of big rocks located <laughs> along the Green River, which mm-hmm. runs through the town. Rockport is small, it's rural, everybody knows everybody. Like, we have plenty of those small towns. Everybody knows everybody's business. You see the same damn people every time you go to the grocery store. (laughs) You know their faces. Mm -hmm. Some of them you wish you didn't. Yes. You got really happy during the pandemic when you couldn't see their faces. (laughs) Yes. So, um, growing up, Karina was a happy, silly child. She loved unicorns and teddy bears. Mm -hmm. Which, when I read that, I was like, I wonder if she had a teddy ruxpin. (laughs) I immediately thought of Tina Belcher from Bob's Burgers when you said unicorns, even though she kind of more likes horses, but still. Yes, yeah. She liked unicorns, teddy bears. When the movie Footloose came out, Mm -hmm. Karina was all about it. Yes. 
I immediately just saw Kevin Bacon dancing. <laughs> I was like, I, I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, being the oldest of four children, it's no surprise that she was also very strong-willed and independent. Um, and again, going back to that close, closeness with her family, on special occasions, Karina would often give her father just a single red rose, and he would give one back to her as a signal of unconditional love. Aww. Which is very sweet. Like, it's, speaking from someone who does not have a close relationship with their father, mm-hmm. it's always, like, it always gets me emotional when I see, especially a woman who has a close relationship with her dad. Mm-hmm. Now, Karina was also beautiful, like, beautiful she had piercing blue eyes like bright blue and her hair was um you know the typical 80s like big (laughs) aquanet (laughs) yeah she was like stunning she had Mm -hmm. a really great smile so she graduated from high school in central city kentucky which is about 15 minutes from rockport um and you know what made me think like so central city was considered like a bigger city but then I was like, they're really close. And then I was like, we have plenty of those here. Because if you mm-hmm. drive, I mean, we're technically in, like, the city part of our county. Yeah. And there's plenty of stuff here. Mm-hmm. But if you drive, like, ten minutes, you're going to be in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. No, I mean, that's where I grew up was middle of nowhere. And yeah. where we live now was our closest town. Yeah. So that's kind of how Central City and Rockport was. Mm-hmm. So when she was graduating, it was around mm-hmm. this time that she actually gave birth to her daughter named Stephanie. Stephanie's father was not in the picture, so it was just Karina and Stephanie. They lived at home with her parents, um, and Stephanie was Karina's world. She (laughs) wanted to provide the best she could for her daughter. Mm -hmm. And they lived with her parents for the first two or three years of her life, but then in the spring of 1987, when Karina was 20 years old, she decided that she was ready to take that next step and move out of her parents' house and you know, take care of Stephanie on her own. Yeah. In an interview I watched with her sister, Heather, I think it was on the ID special Unusual Suspects, Mm -hmm. she said that Karina worked so hard to take care of Stephanie, and she wanted to prove to her parents that she was able to provide for Stephanie on her own. So Karina and Stephanie moved into a new apartment in Hillwood Village Apartments in Central City, Kentucky, with another single mother, Angela Smith. From the reports that I've read, it doesn't appear that Karina and Angela knew each other very well prior to moving in with each other, but they became really fast friends and bonded over being young single mothers. Okay. Karina was 20, Angela was 21. They both had kids that were little, so, Mm -hmm. um, and I was raised by a single parent, and looking back now, like, I can see how difficult, difficult it was to be a single parent, not only on, like, being the sole financial provider for your child, but just, like, the emotional aspect of, like, taking on all that worry and fear that comes with raising a human. Yeah. Um, so, I'm sure that Angela and Karina bonded over those shared experiences. At the time, Karina had hopes of going into the medical field. But for the time being, she was working at the local sheriff's department, doing data entry, clerical work, and cleaning. Mm-hmm. Now, some reports I read just said that she was working there. Some said she was doing it as part of community service, so I don't know which is the accurate one. Mm -hmm. Either way, she was at the Central City Police Department doing that stuff. Uh Uh-huh. Karina had also begun dating 19-year-old Jimmy Royce Springer. 
Jimmy worked construction, and he was pretty built. Like, it takes a lot to do heavy lifting. It does. You can get in shape by doing construction. Very much so. I have slowed down many a time to <laughs> look at them as I see them. Um, <laughs> so, initially, things with Jimmy have been going pretty well. Like, and when Karina moved to Central City, it was like, she's out on her own. She has her daughter. She's dating. Um, but then they started to get a little bit tumultuous, mm-hmm. which tends to happen sometimes. Karina would call home and express to her parents about some of the arguments that she and Jimmy would have. And Jimmy was very possessive and jealous of Karina. There was one time when Karina showed up at her parents' house and her face was blood red. <gasps> and when her dad was like, what happened to you? She said that Jimmy had came over to her apartment and saw how much makeup she was wearing so he got a washcloth and scrubbed it off of her face mm. and told her that she didn't need to wear all that makeup. When I heard that, I was like, let somebody touch my face. You will not yeah. have a tooth. I will punch you in your fucking mouth. Exactly. Exactly. And then just the thought of like someone like scrubbing your face that hard where it's that red because I, I wear stage makeup and that is hard to get off. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I... It takes a lot to make your face red when you are scrubbing it mm-hmm. with a washcloth. Yeah. Especially after it took about 15 minutes drive and her face was still red. Oh. Like, if it had just been, like, you know, she just walked down the hall, I'd be like, okay. Like, still not acceptable no. in any way. But driving 15 minutes and still having your face be that red because somebody scrubbed it with a washcloth? I would have, like... I would have punched him. Yeah, same here. You don't put your hands on somebody. No. That's not okay. And I cringe because that thought just like, it, it hurts. <laughs> yeah. Well, after that instance, Claude and Karina talked and they both decided that things would be better if she moved back home with her parents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Central City was only the 15 minute drive from her parents' house. So she could still continue to work at the police station and she would have her parents available to help take care of Stephanie whenever she needed it. Mm-hmm. Which her parents were totally fine with. I mean, Stephanie was their first grandchild. Karina yeah. was their oldest daughter. And I really feel like being an oldest child, like, parents obviously have bonds with all their kids. Mm-hmm. But it's different. Like, your first child is kind of like your test run. <laughs> yes. And if you make it out to the other side, there's a special bond that you have with your parents mm-hmm. and you have with your kid because there's that, they take on a more independent, responsible role. And I feel like that's building those blocks of like friendship after, like obviously you're going to be a parent first always. Yeah. But when you reach a certain age, you can start building a friendship with your parents and it not just be a parent-child mm-hmm. relationship. Yes. So, she began packing and preparing to return home. On the evening of October 1st, 1987, Karina had taken a load of packed boxes to her parents' house. um, And she had dropped Stephanie off because her parents agreed to watch Stephanie for the evening so Karina could return back to her apartment and finish packing up her things. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's difficult to get stuff done with a toddler running around and needing constant supervision. (laughs) Yes. Because at the time, um, Stephanie was two or three. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's an age. That is... that You know, it, they're both the terrible twos and the terrible threes. I have a two and three year old little in my life that they let you know what they want. They let you know when they're happy. And when they are not happy, you know that too. When they are not happy, you are not happy. <laughs> no. 
they are very vocal about it. So mm-hmm. it takes a lot. I cannot imagine trying to pack and take care of, you know, a child on my own there. Yeah, no, she was probably like, I'm packing something in here and the child's grabbing it when she's not looking. And pulling it out. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So Claude was going to drive over the next morning to help Karina finish loading up her things. She, when she left that evening, she gave Stephanie a kiss and told her parents that she loved him and that she told Claude, I'll see you in the morning. Mm-hmm. The next day, on October 2nd, 1988, around 9 a.m., a municipal city worker was making his rounds when he noticed a 1977 Chevrolet Pontiac parked oddly in one of the city garages. So, it looked like the car had just, like, been parked and abandoned in a hurry. hmm So, as he got out to examine the car, he noticed what looked like blood dripping out of the trunk. Oh, no. So, he immediately contacted the police. Lieutenant Billy Fields arrived on the scene, and when he arrived, he contacted a local locksmith to come and pop the trunk. And when the trunk was opened, they found the nude body of a badly beaten woman laying in the fetal position wrapped in a blanket. Mm, And And I knew it was coming because I know know it's true crime, but it's it's never fun when we reach this point. No, no, it was Karina. Um, And I'm going to give a trigger warning right now because I'm getting ready to discuss her injuries and their they're bad mm-hmm. okay Karina had been so badly beaten that when police initially looked at her body they could not even identify her race wow yes, yes. Um, the medical examiner stated that Karina had so many wounds and abrasions to her body it was difficult to determine where one ended and another began mm. he said that the injuries she suffered were extraordinarily brutal she had multiple facial injuries, as well as two separate separate stab wounds to her neck, and her neck had also been cut. Good grief. She had defensive wounds on the palms of her hands, her wrists, and her fingertips. She had multiple bruises on her back and arms, and based on the bones in her neck, it appeared that Karina had been repeatedly been beaten in the neck. By a fist or another object while her head had been tilted back. Ooh, oh. Yes. Goodness. Um, and a lot of times, like, when, like, if they find a body mm-hmm. and there's no, like, actual, like, they can't see any, like, gunshot wounds or stab wounds, um, in a lot of ways they determine that a person has been choked to death is because the hyoid bone is broken. Uh-huh. And I don't think her hyoid bone was broken. I think it was just, like, they could visibly see, like, she had oh, been beaten. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to give a, a, another warning here. If you've made it this far, I'm going to talk a little bit about sexual assault. Um, she had multiple bruises on the inside of her thighs, indicating that her legs had been forcefully pried apart. And one of her nipples had been cut off. <gasps> yeah. Oh. The medical de- examiner determined that Karina had been brutally raped. And even though there was no semen present on her body, they did a rape kit just to see if they could find any DNA evidence. It was clear from Karina's body that she had fought so hard for her life. Mm -hmm. Um, Her cause of death was actually determined to be asphyxiation. She had essentially choked to death on her own blood. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Police concluded that Karina was put into the trunk while she was still alive, and they determined that based on two things. One, her body still ha- her body had chill bumps. Mm-hmm. 
And one of the detectives had stated um, that dead people do not get chill bumps because dead people don't get cold. Mm -hmm. And then there was also a lot of blood that had pulled around Karina, which indicated that her heart was still beating when she was placed in the trunk. That's, I can't, I can't even know words. Well, yeah, it's terrifying. Like, you mm-hmm. know, we've had this conversation before. Like, your last moments, like, to fight that hard. There's something about, like, just thinking about fighting that hard to stay alive. Yeah. And someone, like, just taking the life out mm-hmm. of you. Police began their investigation into Karina's murder as soon as her body was found. She worked at the police station. Mm-hmm. So they all knew her. So Yeah. So many of the officers that would be working her case, including lead detective Billy Fields, knew her. Mm-hmm. So he began her investigation by going to Karina's apartment to talk to her roommate, Angela Smith. And when he arrived, he noticed that there were no signs of forced entry in Karina's apartment. The lock wasn't broken. There was no, like, footprints on the door like it had been kicked in. It looked perfectly normal Mm -hmm. so kind of initially he determined like based on the fact that there was no forced entry and the brutality of karina's murder he believed that her murder was personal and that she probably knew the person that killed her Mm -hmm. so when he spoke to angela she told lieutenant fields that the night prior she and karina had decided to go out since it was her last night living in central city in her own place And they were both child-free for the evening because Angela's son was staying with his dad. Angela said that she and Karina had met one of their friends, Jeffrey Boyd, at a nearby bar where they had several drinks and just were popping Valium. Mm -hmm. After that, they went to get dinner at a local restaurant. Around this time, it was about 11 p.m., and then they got home by midnight. According to Angela, when the women returned home, they watched TV for a little bit to wind down. And as Karina headed off to her room, she asked Angela to leave the door unlocked because Jimmy Springer was supposed to be coming by. Mm, I was waiting to hear that name again. Yes. So Angela said that the last time she'd seen Karina was when she went to bed. Mm-hmm. And she said she hadn't heard anything at all. And Lieutenant Fields thought that was a little bit odd, seeing as the walls of the apartment were super thin. Mm-hmm. But Angela explained, like, I was shit-faced last night. I had had so many shots. I had been drinking all night. And I was downing Valium. Yeah. Like, spree. I was getting ready to say. I'm not surprised when you had said that they were drinking and popping Valium. Yeah. So, when Lieutenant Fields searched Karina's bedroom, it was clear that this was the initial point of the brutal attack. Mm Mm-hmm. He collected and bagged 23 pieces of evidence between Karina's bedroom and her car that was sent to the state lab. And when I heard that, I was like, aren't there usually more pieces of evidence? But I don't know what is an appropriate amount of evidence to collect. I feel like for the starting point, I was like, well, that's a lot for the starting point. Because usually I feel like they collect the most where they find the victim. Yeah, but, I mean, if it's not the initial point of, if it's just a dumping site, sometimes it's very difficult to get a lot of evidence from Mm -hmm. that. So, I was thinking, I was thinking it was a small amount. I don't know. Anyway, he sent that off to the state crime lab. When police received Karina's toxicology report, they found that she did not have any alcohol at all in her system. Oh. She was not drunk. Mm-hmm. She had trace amounts of marijuana and a normal amount of therapeutic painkillers in her system. Mm-hmm. So probably like Advil or Tylenol. 
and marijuana can stay in your system for a while. So yeah. she, it could have been a while, you know, since she had actually smoked. Mm-hmm. So when they got that information, they were like, mm, pretty sure Angela's not being 100% truthful about the night before. But it was clearly obvious that Angela was not big or strong enough to do the damage that was done to Karina's body. Yeah, and maybe Karina was not doing what Angela was doing, but... Yeah, so they thought maybe that that Angela was covering from, for somebody. Mm-hmm. Lieutenant Fields knew that he needed to speak with Jimmy Springer, and while he was waiting for Springer to be tracked down, he questioned other residents in the apartment complex. Nobody said they saw or heard anything. Again, he thought it was super weird. Yeah. Because the walls weren't just thin in, like, each individual apartment. It was in the entire complex. Mm-hmm. In fact, one detective had noted that during his interview with one of the residents, the resident had pointed out just how thin the walls were when they could hear an upstairs neighbor sliding their chair back under the table. Uh-huh. Like, that's super thin. It is. Which this also made me think, side note, I remember freshman year of college being woken up to the girls in the room next to me mm-hmm. about two o'clock in the morning, really, really drunk singing. Um, <laughs> what is that song? Hanging on a prayer. Or oh yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I know exactly what we're talking to. We're talking about. Yeah. I was just like, oh. anyway, and our walls weren't thin. They were just super loud. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, when Jimmy Springer was tracked down in question, he told investigators that he and Karina actually had a good relationship. He admitted they had had arguments, but it had never turned violent. When questioned about his whereabouts the night of Karina's murder, Jimmy stated that he'd been with two of his friends and co-workers. They'd gone out to a bar, had some drinks, smoked some weed, and then went back to his friend's apartment. He said he had driven over to Karina's apartment late in the evening, and he found the front door unlocked. We went to Karina's bedroom. Her door was locked. He said he called out her name, but she never answered. He admitted that he noticed two smudges of blood on her bedroom door, but didn't think much about it, and he left. He said he thought that Karina may have gotten mad at him for going out with his friends instead of spending time with her. Mm-hmm. And maybe she had just, like, gone into town, or she was still in town at a bar um, trying to cool off. So he said he drove around looking for her for about 15 minutes before he gave up and went back to his friend's apartment and fell asleep. Mm-hmm. And this was 87, so... Cell phones were not super popular. You couldn't just send somebody a text and be like, hey, I'm pissed at you because you didn't come here. Or, hey, yeah. I'm going here. But I don't know, like, Karina was planning on breaking up with him. So, mm-hmm. I don't know that was accurate, but Jimmy said that's what he thought. Okay. I don't know if I believe him either at this point. Yeah. Well, the fact that he never called the cops after finding Karina's apartment empty... And blood on the door immediately caused red flags mm-hmm. for, you know, Lieutenant Fields. He was pretty confident from the get-go that Jimmy Springer was the murderer. However, there were other people he needed to talk to. And one of those people was the other person that Angela had indicated that Kareen had been with the night of her murder, Jeffrey Boyd. Okay. Jeffrey Boyd was a known criminal in Central City. Mm-hmm. By 1987, he'd already served time for sexual abuse charges, as well as a stint for blowing up a car with a homemade bomb. Oh, he's one of those types. Yes. At the present time in 1987, he was a known drug dealer and trafficker, and he was quite intimidating standing at six foot five. Wow. Yes. It's tall. Yeah, he's massive. 
Oh, currently he's six foot five, about four hundred pounds. Yeah, <laughs> he's not a tiny man. No. No. So while tracking down Boyd to be interviewed, Lieutenant Fields gets a call from an eyewitness at the restaurant where Angela had said that she and Karina had gone for dinner. Mm-hmm. The eyewitness said that on the night of Karina's murder, he'd seen Karina with Jeffrey Boyd. And Boyd had been pointing a gun at Karina, yelling something to the effect of, Bitch, you're going to die tonight. <gasps> it was theorized that maybe Karina had crossed paths, like crossed Jeffrey Boyd, like maybe not giving him money for drugs she mm-hmm. bought from him, crossed him in some way, and that her death had been a vengeance killing. Mm-hmm. However, after questioning Boyd and the eyewitness at the restaurant, Lieutenant Fields rule, ruled Boyd out as a viable suspect and concluded that the eyewitness testimony at the restaurant was not reputable. Okay. So, detectives also reached out to the bar patrons Mm -hmm. and bartenders at the bar where Angela had indicated that they'd been the night before. But nobody could remember seeing either of the women on the night of October 1st, which Mm -hmm. really... I don't know if I was out drinking, I'd be paying too much attention to the people around me. Like, yeah. if I was a bartender, probably. Mm-hmm. But even still, like, you see so many people coming in and out, you may not remember them. Yeah, like, if they if they were there and really not, did not cause a, store, a stir there, yeah. they might not be remembered as much as you know, the bartender having to put up with someone who wanted too much to drink or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So... Based on the investigation and all their interviews, detectives on the case were looking really hard at Jimmy Springer as their number one suspect and most likely murderer of Karina. Mm-hmm. They believed that he had entered her apartment and killed her in a fit of rage because she'd indicated to her family that she was ending the relationship. And Jimmy also had a criminal history. Now, I didn't see anywhere that prior to Karina's murder, it was a violent criminal history. Uh-huh. Mostly just like larceny, which isn't okay, but that's a nonviolent offense. Yeah. So at the end of October nineteen eighty seven, so this is just like weeks after Karina's murder, mm-hmm. Jimmy was arrested for stealing equipment from his job. And during questioning by the security staff at his place of employment, the answers he gave made the security staff feel that he was maybe he maybe he knew more about Karina's murder than he was letting on. Mm-hmm. I don't know what kind of questions I would be asking him to get that information. Yeah, I was sitting, I was thinking like they were pro, like they were probably supposed to be asking asking him about the things he stole. Yeah, not a murder. Yeah, which I thought was weird, but I don't know what. I, I, yeah, maybe he was a chatty Kathy. I don't know. <laughs> so the security staff provided that information to the detectives on Karina's case. And then in December of um, 87, mm-hmm. after serving, like spending some time in jail for that equipment, Jimmy Springer was officially charged with Karina Mullen's murder, which was super fast. She was mur- murdered on October 1st, 1987, and he was charged with her murder in December 1987. Uh-huh. Karina's family was ecstatic. Like, they did not like Jimmy Springer from the get-go. Mm-hmm. So they were really excited when they found out that he had been arrested and charged with her murder. Uh-huh. And they were finally feeling like, finally, Karina suffered this brutal death. We're going to have some justice for her. When the case went to trial in the summer of 1988, 
the prosecution shared their theory with the jury that Jimmy had killed Corrine in a fit of jealous rage and he was using drugs and drunk, which further fueled his fire. Mm -hmm. However, the prosecution did not provide one single piece of physical evidence tying Jimmy Springer to Karina's murder. So, police had collected blood and hairs on Karina's body, but it had never been tested. Her mm-hmm. rape kit hadn't even been sent to the crime lab. Police had never given them the official sign-off to test the evidence. So, Why? it was never tested. I don't know. Um, like... The prosecution really didn't even have circumstantial evidence linking him to the murder, mm-hmm. other than the fact that Karina and he had not had the best relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody actually physically placed seeing him in Karina's apartment. The only thing that Angela said is, like, Karina asked me to leave the door unlocked for him. Mm-hmm. But Angela never said, I saw Jimmy in the apartment. Yeah. Nobody said that. So they... Really, the prosecution had jack shit. Like, they jumped the gun taking him to trial it sounds like it yeah and like the defense took that like basically said that like they expressed the detectives had done like a really shitty job when it came to the physical evidence that was found at the crime scene because even though they didn't have a ton of physical evidence they Mm -hmm. had evidence they just didn't test it that's i mean and you think they would want to do i mean they won't do the best you would think they'd want to do the best job on every case however i would feel like if they knew the victim yeah that would that would mean that everything was going to be tip top tidy you know that yeah. when they make yeah. an arrest it's going to be the one yeah well and the prosecution just relied heavily on the fact that Jimmy admitted being in the apartment mm-hmm. and that he saw blood on her door and yeah. he didn't do anything about it which if that were me and like i came home and you weren't here but i saw blood on your door yeah, mm-hmm. I would be concerned. If I couldn't get in touch with you, I would go ahead and just call the police. Like, I wouldn't exactly. even, like, contact your mom. I would just call no. the police right away. <laughs> um, Jimmy's defense, in, like, basically said that police jumped the gun and needed a suspect, and they were just pointing the finger at Jimmy because he was a criminal. Mm-hmm. Um, Jimmy took the stand in his own defense, and he shared the same exact story that he'd originally told investigators. He agreed that he did go into Karina's apartment. He found the blood smears on her door. And he again repeated, I didn't think it was too big of a deal. He said that he'd gone out looking for her. But when he didn't find her, he went back to his friend's apartment and fell asleep. Which, honestly, if you think about their relationship, the fact that he only looked for her for like 15 minutes and then went back and fell asleep is kind of indicative of how their relationship was actually going. Mm -hmm. Because he went back and went to sleep. Yeah. So... Anyway, he also said that detectives had tried to force him to confess and indicated that one of the detectives, he did not name the detective, but said that one of the detectives had lied on the stand. Mm-hmm. And when he was questioned as to whether or not, like, are you saying that detectives are not being truthful in their sworn testimony? He said something to the effect of their, he said something to the effect that a lot of people that had been taking the stand were not being honest in their testimony. Mm-hmm. So, the friend that he spent the night with at his apartment, his name was Dale. Dale and another eyewitness, who also stayed in the same apartment the night Karina was murdered with Jimmy and Dale, both said that on the night Karina was murdered, Jimmy had been with them. They corroborated that they went to the bar, they came back from the bar. When they got back from the bar, Jimmy said, hey, I'm going to go see Karina. They said he returned a short time later... 
and there was no indication whatsoever that he'd brutally attacked and murdered somebody. Uh-huh. Aside from the fact that he returned basically in the same form he'd left in, like his clothes weren't dirty, nothing like that, he just hadn't been gone long enough to brutally murder, rape, like rape her, murder her, dump her body, and then get back to his friend's apartment. Mm-hmm. They said he was gone like 20, 30 minutes. There's no way he could have done the damage that was done to her in 30 minutes. No, no. Especially not since there are signs that she fought back. Yeah. He would have had, if the, he, he would have been covered in blood. Mm-hmm. And there would have been scratches on him. Yeah. So when the jury went out for deliberation, Karina's family was not hopeful at all. Like, they knew that the prosecution had done a terrible job mm-hmm. in preventing, you know, providing evidence that Jimmy had killed Karina. The jury only deliberated about an hour before he was found not guilty of murder. Which is not surprising. No. So after he was found not guilty, he tried to live a quiet life. Um, but, you know, kind of hard to do that when you've been... Mm-hmm. So, he continuously denied his involvement in Karina's murder. He said he cared, he cared deeply for her. And he felt terrible that her family didn't have answers and that Karina didn't have justice. Yeah. So, after the trial was over... The prosecution announced that they would not be reopening the investigation into Karina's murder unless they found significant evidence pointing at someone else because they believed that Jimmy Springer was guilty and that the jury had gotten it wrong. Like, they didn't say those exact words, but but that was the gist of it. Mm -hmm. Karina's family was devastated. I'm sure. (laughs) I mean, even if they found other evidence, that Jimmy had murdered her. He couldn't be tried for murder. No, it was too late. He could be tried for, like, perjury Mm -hmm. or something else, but not murder. And the perjury charge is not going to carry as much weight as a murder conviction would. Absolutely not. So, even though her family was devastated, her father, Claude, was described as having almost a bulldog-like mentality when it came out to finding who murdered Karina. Mm -hmm. And Claude and Patricia started their own investigation. Good. They were like, the police aren't doing shit. We're going to do it. Shortly after Jimmy was acquitted of murder, Karina's car had been returned to her family. Mm-hmm. So Claude was like, I'm going to look, look at the car again because yeah. they may have missed something. So he's out there searching the car and he found a pocket knife wedged under the front passenger seat that had dried blood and hair on it. And he's like, how the fuck did they miss this? Yeah. Like, it's under the seat. So he contacted authorities, but they dismissed him about getting it tested. And he's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, they didn't want to test anything. Even their own stuff they found. Yeah, like, this is, we're doing something about this. So Mm -hmm. he did not stop, and he took it all the way to the Kentucky State Police and had them open an investigation into Karina's murder. When the knife was tested, the blood and hair found on the knife was determined to have been animal blood. But still... How did the police miss a knife that had blood and hair on it? Yes, and, and the the sheriff said that it could because it was wedged under a seat. Like he admitted, like you know, it could have gotten missed. Which I don't know how because they're supposed to take it completely apart. Yeah, but anywho, he admitted it had gotten missed. And are they not concerned that it's animal blood and hair? Well, I, I mean, I would be. Yeah, I'd be I'm, like, what the, what the heck is this now? I don't think Karina was a hunter. No. 
But, you know, that could have, like, come from her murderer. Mm-hmm. So, they should have wanted to test it. Um, when the Kentucky State Police got involved with Karina's murder, Central City was like, maybe we should, like, just revisit this investigation. Oh, you think? So, Lieutenant Biddy... Biddy. <laughs> Lieutenant Billy Field frequently visited the Mullen home. Mm-hmm. And he would, like, sit at the kitchen table with Claude and Patricia to discuss the case and any progress they had been making. He even took Claude out in his patrol car, like, trying to find additional evidence that could point to a suspect. Was he from Central City or the State Police? Lieutenant Fields, mm-hmm. Billy Fields, um, is with the Central City Police. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So he was the lead investigator mm-hmm. on, he was like the first person at her crime scene that called the locksmith to come pop the truck. Gotcha. And then in 1989, Mullenberg County, which is where this murder took place, mm-hmm. um, a new sheriff was elected, defeating the sheriff that had been in place at the time of Karina's death. Mm-hmm. So Sheriff Wayne Moore had ran his campaign with the promise that if he was elected, he would reopen Karina's investigation. And when he was elected in 1990, he appointed Detective Terry Arnett as lead detective. Uh-huh. And they jumped full force into trying to figure out what happened to Karina. During a newspaper interview in 1991... Sheriff Moore said he felt that they were getting close to solving the case based on some phone calls he'd received. He said he thought that they were getting close and, like, people were getting scared because the first phone call he received, he was questioned as, like, why are you reopening the case into Karina's murder? Like, you just need to leave it alone. (laughs) They actually told him that he needed to back off or he might be finding himself floating down the Green River. Oh. And Sheriff Moore told the caller that he could swim, and then he hung up on him. <laughs> <laughs> and then subsequent phone calls continued to threaten Sheriff Moore and told him he was going to get his ass beat. And then in a final call, the caller alluded to the possibility that Sheriff Moore's wife and children were in danger. Mm-hmm. They asked him to think about how much he loved his wife and kids and that he didn't want anything to happen to them. However, Sheriff Moore did not stop. Uh-huh. I just took additional appropriate measures to make sure his wife and kids were safe. Good. He wanted to find out what happened to Karina. Mm-hmm. In 1992, the FBI actually got involved in the case. And they re-examined Karina's car. And they found smudged fingerprints on the trunk. Like, the police did a shitty job, okay? Yeah. So, unfortunately, the prints cannot be matched to anybody. Mm-hmm. Although the FBI involvement did put more heat on the case, they didn't really cover uncover anything of significance. Detective Moore and or Sheriff Moore and Detective Arnett, like they were working tirelessly. And Detective Arnett decided to go ahead and just like retest some of the evidence mm-hmm. in the case. When he tried to locate the evidence, he discovered that most of it was missing. Oh. And he's like, What the fuckity fuck is happening? Mm-hmm. So he pulled old evidence logs. And he found out that on August 8th, 1988, shortly after, like, a few days after Jimmy Springer had been found not guilty of Karina's murder, Lieutenant Billy Fields had signed out 18 pieces of evidence and never returned them. Like, he kept them? They don't know what happened to them. He just took them from the crime lab and never checked them back into evidence. He also found that the reason they 
that never got tested is because Lieutenant Billy Fields never requested that they even be tested. He merely just sent it to the lab. Mm-hmm. And the lab was waiting on word from him, like, what to test and when to test. He never sent that. And so when it never came, they just held on to it until he said, hey, I'm ready to pick it up. So they had it, but Lieutenant Fields was just like, nah, you know, whatever. Yeah. So once the lab returned the evidence back to Lieutenant Billy Fields, it all just seemed to disappear and none of it was never logged back in. Mm-hmm. So Detective Arnett began to suspect that maybe there was a cover-up going on. You know, Karina did work at the police department. Yeah. And as it was common in a small town, rumors was rumor. Why did I say that so weird? <laughs> rumors began to fly. Mm-hmm. Detective Arnett was not the only person that was suspecting Lieutenant Billy Field was involved in a cover-up to conceal the true identity of Karina's murderer. One of the common rumors that had been flying around Central City was that Lieutenant Field was involved in a drug ring. With Jeffrey Boyd, one of the last known people to have been confirmed being seen with Karina the night of the murder. And there's the other name. Yes. So, maybe Boyd had killed Karina. Mm-hmm. And Lieutenant Fields was covering it up because he was, like, involved in drugs with Jeffrey Boyd. Uh-huh. However, Lieutenant Fields adamantly denied these statements. He... He actually requested that the Kentucky State Police open an investigation to just double-check his involvement. And, like, the state police cleared him of his involvement. They were like, he was not involved. Then what did he do with all the evidence? I don't know. Lieutenant Field stated that the rumor was actually just started by a local drug dealer and further fueled by people that just didn't like him and how he handled his investigations. Mm -hmm. Like, apparently he would get really friendly with, like, the criminals he was investigating. Um, but he said it was only to, like, build a connection so he could get more information. Because they're not going to give him information if he just shows up and he's, like, playing bad cop. Yeah. He was cleared by the Kentucky State Police. The prior sheriff was like, you know, he's not involved. We checked it out. However, he did end up retiring in 1992, the same year the FBI joined the investigation. After three fellow officers had filed internal complaints about him. Mm-hmm. And, like, rumors continued to fly for years about his involvement. And during that time, Detective Arnett continued to build his evidence file in Karina's case. He did this for almost a decade. Uh-huh. Until he was diagnosed and eventually succumbed to terminal cancer in 2002. Oh, no. So, he's working this case for, like, 10 years. Yeah. Before he died, Detective Arnett was sure he was on the brink of having all the information he would need to make an arrest in Karina's case. Mm-hmm. He stayed in contact with Karina's family throughout the years and provided encouragement that one day their her case would be solved. Mm-hmm. And, like, if you look at, um, like, in memory pages of Karina or for Karina by her family, like, they, like, give a shout out to Terry Arnett because uh-huh. he worked so hard trying to find out what happened to Karina. Prior to his death, Detective Arnett had actually turned over all the evidence he'd compiled To his pastor, who would eventually become police chief in Mullenberg County. Mm Mm-hmm. And he did that for safekeeping because he, like, he had a lot of shit on a lot of people. Uh Uh-huh. Detective Arnett was positive, positive that Billy Fields was involved in Karina's murder and assisted in covering it up. But he was just waiting on that, like, one final piece of evidence to 
put the nail in the coffin for him. Mm-hmm. The case sat basically not moving for a few more years until 2005. So in 2005, Kentucky... <laughs> <laughs> we can edit that out. <laughs> it has been a long day. I mean, it hasn't been a long day, but my brain and mouth are not communicating. <laughs> okay. So Kentucky State Police Detective... Damon Fleming was speaking with a narcotics officer. And the officer informed Detective Fleming, Oh, my Lord. (laughs) Holy moly. Okay. So, the officer informed Detective Fleming that a few months prior, one of his informants had shared information with him that she'd been present at a murder that had occurred in Central City, Kentucky. What the what? Yes. So... Based on the information and the details provided by that informant, Detective Fleming, going back through his case files, and he's like, hey, this is Karina Mullen's murder. So, Detective Fleming interviewed the informant. At mm-hmm. the time of questioning, the informant was a 35-year-old woman that I'm going to refer to as Sarah to protect her identity. Okay. Sarah told Detective Fleming that on the night of October 1st, 1987... She was 16 years old. She was standing outside the home that she shared with her parents when a police car driven by Billy Fields pulled up beside her. A large man got out of the car and shoved her into the back seat. Sarah said that she wasn't sure of who the man was, but she remembered his face because he was such a big guy. And Detective Fleming kind of had an idea of who it might be. Yeah. When Sarah was insistent that he was really big. Mm-hmm. And he showed her a picture of Jeffrey Boyd. And she's like, that is the man that was in the car with Billy Fields that night. She stated that Billy Fields drove the car to the apartment where Karina and Angela lived. And when they arrived, Karina and Angela were in the apartment with Jimmy Springer, Jimmy Kramer, who was one of Boyd's drug associates, And another man that Sarah could not identify. Upon entering the apartment, Billy Fields started arguing with Karina. He was saying something about Karina not being able to keep her mouth shut and that he was going to teach her a lesson. And this was the sheriff? Yeah, Lieutenant Billy Fields. Wow. The lieutenant, yeah. So, Billy Fields pulled Karina into her bedroom. And then Jeffrey Boyd pulled Sarah into Karina's bedroom. Inside the bedroom, the argument continued. Karina had tried to get away from Billy Fields, but he began beating and choking her. Sarah said Karina was screaming and Billy Fields choked her until she stopped. And I'm going to give another trigger warning here because it's about to get real dark again. When Karina stopped screaming, Fields raped Karina in front of everybody. And then when he was done raping Karina... Jimmy Kramer and Jeffrey Boyd also raped her. Oh. Yeah. Sarah said that Jimmy Springer did not participate in beating Karina and that he was actually trying to help her, but he was outnumbered. So after Kramer and Boyd both had raped Karina, Billy Fields continued to brutally beat her with a metal pipe before stabbing her. Then Billy Fields grabbed Sarah threw her on top of Karina's body and raped her. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Sarah stated that Angela Smith was in the next room sobbing uncontrollably during the attack. 
Once Fields thought that Karina was dead, he wrapped her in a blanket, pulled her out of her apartment to her trunk. He instructed Sarah to get into the driver's seat and head towards a garage downtown. And when they got there, Jeffrey Boyd was already waiting. When Sarah parked the car, she saw, like, if I'm going to get out of this, this is my chance. Mm -hmm. So she threw the keys and took off running. She ran all the way back to her parents' house and never told anybody what happened except for her stepmother. They both were terrified and didn't say anything. Sarah told Detective Fleming that Fields had called her repeatedly throughout the years, threatening her not to tell anybody what had happened. So, after the interview with Sarah, Detective Fleming began looking deeply into all the men involved. Mm -hmm. However, he was unable to identify the fifth man in the apartment that Sarah didn't know. Mm -hmm. So, he knew that Billy Fields, Jeffrey Kramer, Jeffrey Springer... Billy Fields, Jeffrey Boyd, Jimmy Kramer, and Jimmy Springer Mm -hmm. were the men that Sarah identified as being in the apartment. What he found was a long history of criminal conduct. In the years since Karina had been murdered, Jeffrey Boyd had been accused of rape and multiple drug trafficking charges. Jimmy Kramer had been convicted of about eight felonies, including assault and theft. And Jeffrey Springer Springer had been convicted of trafficking, trafficking, burglary, and assault. Wait, Jeffrey or Jimmy Springer? Jimmy Springer, sorry. There's a lot of J's. (laughs) There are. So, so, so wait, is there Jeffrey? So, Jeffrey Boyd. Yes. Yes. Okay. Jimmy Jimmy Kramer. Kramer and Jimmy Springer. Yes. Um, Billy Fields had not been arrested for anything. He'd kind of Of been living under the radar. But he was, I mean, there were still plenty of rumors, like, Mm -hmm. so. He was getting away with it because people were probably too afraid. Yes. So, Detective Fleming also began Mm re-interviewing old witnesses. Mm -hmm. Some of them were willing to speak openly. Some weren't. Um, But several people stated that they'd actually seen Jeffrey Boyd and Billy Fields walking together, like, away from the garage late on the evening of Karina's murder. And when he re-interviewed tenants living in the apartment where Karina lived, he found that multiple eyewitnesses had actually seen Fields' police cruiser in the parking lot on the night of Karina's murder. Mm-hmm. So it's becoming like pretty clear that Lieutenant Fields had intimidated the witnesses into saying they hadn't seen or heard anything. Like, yeah. obviously they knew he'd been there that night, but mm-hmm. he was the lead detective on the case. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not going to be like, yeah, I saw you here. Yeah. They were terrified mm-hmm. because it was pretty common knowledge what had happened to Karina. Like, her body was brutalized and stuffed into her trunk. Yeah. When Detective Fleming interviewed the apartment manager, he discovered that the apartment manager and Karina had actually gotten really close. And when she and Jimmy Springer would have arguments, Karina would often come and speak with the apartment Uh manager. Um, And in one of those conversations, Karina had actually shared with the apartment manager that she was also having a relationship with Billy Fields. Mm. Um, she, the apartment manager said that she'd seen Billy Fields and Karina together on multiple occasions and that she'd also seen Jimmy Kramer and Jeffrey Boyd also with Karina. Uh-huh. In the weeks prior to Karina's death, Karina had shared with the apartment manager that she thought she may be pregnant and that Fields would be the father. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So, <clears throat> in another interview, um, as he began, um, re-interviewing everybody... Detective Fleming discovered that on the day of Karina's murder, 
Karina had spoken to an officer, Officer Scott, before she left work. Mm Because she worked that day. And she had asked Officer Officer Scott, like, can I trust you? Because I have to tell you something important. And he was like, yeah, of course. So, Karina had told Officer Scott that her boyfriend, Jimmy Springer, one of their friends, Jeffrey Boyd, and another one of Springer's co-workers were involved in moving stolen property and trafficking illegal drugs. Uh Uh-huh. Lieutenant Fields outranked Officer Scott. Of course. So, Officer Scott went to Lieutenant Fields and was like, hey, what do I do about this? Because Mm. Karina's trying to report this. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Lieutenant Fields is working in this drug trafficking Uh ring with Jeffrey Boyd. And sooner or later, he knew that Karina was probably going to be able to, like, tie him to this big, massive drug trafficking Mm -hmm. ring. He could not let that happen. So... That's, you know, that's big motive to kill yeah. her. That might be the, um, I forget what they call it when you write the, the initial thing that sets everything off. Yeah. Like, as a writer, yeah, like, I should know like this. Like the trigger for The it. instigating. Factor. Something. Point or something. Yeah. Goodness. I'm tired, listeners. I'm a much better writer yes. than I sound right now. Yeah. But. Essentially, <laughs> yes. That would have been it. So, um. Based on that information, Detective Fleming was like, okay, like, we've definitely got, like, murder means opportunity. Mm -hmm. People that did it, we're making some charges. So, Billy Fields was charged with murder, first-degree rape of Karina, sodomy on the charges for Sarah, Mm -hmm. kidnapping, tampering with evidence, and perjury. Um, And the perjury charge was because of the testimony he provided in Jimmy Springer's case. Mm Mm-hmm. When he was initially tried. Jimmy Kramer was charged with murder, kidnapping, rape, and perjury. Again, going back to Jimmy Springer's case. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey Boyd was charged with murder, kidnapping, rape, perjury. Again, going back to Jimmy Springer's case. Angela Smith, her roommate, was charged with being complicit to murder, rape, and kidnapping. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all arrested in 2006 in, co- in connection with her murder. Billy Fields adamantly involved any involvement. I mean, de- of course he did. Adamantly denied being involved mm-hmm. in Karina's murder. He said that he'd only conducted the interviews and collected the evidence that was sent off for testi- testing. And so when mm-hmm. they went, like, when he was being questioned, like, Detective Fleming was like, did you, like, you collected that evidence, but then you sent it off and you didn't have it tested, mm-hmm. and then you picked it up, and then it disappeared. Mm-hmm. Like, what happened to it? Yeah. And Fields was like, you know, I can't remember. It was a long time ago. And Detective Fleming was like, that's really weird, because you've only worked, like, three murders so, you should probably, like, remember picking up this evidence. I, oh my gosh, as angry as I am right now with hearing this, I would totally, would have been like, hmm, then maybe are you forgetting a murder that you did? Yeah, yeah. So, Jimmy Springer, because he'd mm. already been acquitted of murder, mm-hmm. he couldn't be tried for murder again. No. So, he was charged with kidnapping, rape, and sodomy. Mm-hmm. Um, because initially, Sarah had said that Jimmy Springer had not participated at all. But at trial, she stated that the other men had forced him to rape Karina. Mm-hmm. So, 
When it did go to trial, Fields, so Billy Fields, Jimmy Kramer, and Jeffrey Boyd were tried jointly. Mm-hmm. Angela Smith was supposed to have been tried with all three men, but right before the trial, all of the charges against her except perjury um, were dropped in exchange for her testimony against the three men. Okay. And the prosecution provided three theories for Karina's murder. Mm-hmm. So the first is that she was pregnant with Billy Fields' child, and uh-huh. that was not going to happen. Like, no way. The second is that she would be able to link Billy Fields to the drug ring, mm-hmm. and it was like a massive drug trafficking yes. ring. And the third is that she mm-hmm. owed money to Jeffrey Boyd for drugs, and she didn't pay him. Mm-hmm. Angela did testify, as did Sarah. The defense tried to tear down their testimony, especially that of Sarah. The defense wanted to know why would Billy Fields and Jeffrey Boyd just pick up a random 16-year-old and make her an eyewitness to their crime and then just let her go. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, she got away when she had a chance. I think if yeah. they had had a chance, she wouldn't have gotten away. Mm-hmm. And again, it's one of those things, like, if she had gone to somebody and be like, hey, these guys picked me up, nobody's going to believe her. She was 16 years no. old and he was the lieutenant of the police department. Yeah. No way and anybody would have believed her. probably wouldn't have lived to tell anything else. No. And Billy, Feel, uh, Billy Fields and Jeffrey Boyd were monsters. Mm-hmm. They had zero concern for anybody else. And they enjoyed clearly physically and mentally torturing another person. Yeah. Um, Erica Kelly, the host of Southern Fried True Crime, it's another podcast. She did a great coverage on this case. Like, go listen to her podcast. She theorized that maybe another reason Sarah got picked up is because Billy Fields planned on having her drive the car to the dump site. So that way, if anybody saw Karina's car, it was late at night. They would just be able to say, like, hey, I saw a woman driving this Mm -hmm. car. I didn't see a man driving this car. So, Very that true. was not my theory. That was Erica Kelly from mm-hmm. Southern Fried True Crime Podcast. So, go listen to that. So, um, the prosecution pointed out that Sarah's testimony was corroborated by eyewitnesses seeing Fields Police Cruiser at the scene and eyewitnesses seeing Fields and Boyd together later in the evening. Sarah was also able to provide statements regarding injuries to Karina's body that had not been released to the public. Mm-hmm. The only way she would have known about them is if she had been there. I mean, yeah, there was a lack mm-hmm. of physical evidence in the case, which was pointed out by the defense. Nothing tying any of them in to the crime scene. However, Fields had checked out that evidence and never returned it. Of yeah. course, like it never got tested. I'm sure if that evidence had got tested, there probably would have been DNA tying mm-hmm. all Huge of those red flags. Yeah. So, duh, there's no physical evidence. Fields took it and we don't know what he did with it. He probably disposed of it. Like, nobody could actually confirm he destroyed it. Mm -hmm. But it is on record that he is the person that picked it up from the crime lab and never checked it back into evidence. Yeah. So, Billy Fields was found guilty of murder, rape, sodomy, kidnapping, and tampering with evidence. Good. Boyd was found guilty of murder, kidnapping, and rape. And Kramer was found guilty of manslaughter, rape, and kidnapping. Um, 
Fields and Boyd were both given life sentences, and Jeffrey Kramer was sentenced to 60 years. Mm-hmm. Good. I could not find out if the trial actually went ahead for Jimmy Springer. I could mm-hmm. not find any evidence about that. Like, he was supposed to face those charges, but I don't know if he did. I couldn't find anything about it. Okay. Um, Claude and Patricia Mullen had raised Karina's daughter, Stephanie, mm-hmm. after her mother's murder. Um, Stephanie stated that it was torture I'm seeing sure. her grandparents suffer and mourn the loss of their daughter and mm-hmm. not know what had happened. Um, Stephanie struggled with being able to not remember her mom. Like, she didn't have memories of her. I was say she was so young when it happened. Yeah. And also, what was so damn shitty is that... You know, they lived in Rockport. It's not that far away from Central City. Mm-hmm. S- rumors fly. Claude and Patricia had both heard the rumors that Billy Fields was involved in their daughter's murder. And this man is coming to their house, sitting at their kitchen table, discussing the murder like... Oh, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Like, oh, how goodness. fucking diabolical is that? Mm. That's disgusting. And of course... Like, he wasn't concerned with anything. Like, he knew, like, when Sarah was speaking to Detective Fleming, Mm -hmm. she was saying that Billy Fields was just like, when he was beating Karina, he wasn't concerned about blood splatter. He didn't care because he knew he was going to be the person that was going to be collecting evidence. And then he could get rid of it. Yeah, so it didn't really matter. Mm Mm-hmm. I hope they threw him in general population and let everyone know that he was a cop. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Inmates are not nice to cops. No. Absolutely not. not. I don't normally wish bad things on people, but he deserves it. He was disgusting. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was a brutal... It's not... And no level of murder is okay or acceptable, but there was, like, exceptional brutality in Karina's murder. Mm-hmm. And regardless of the reason, like, the, it was so, so gross. Mm-hmm. So gross. Um, and so when police did, or not when police, but when the medical examiner conducted Karina's autopsy, they didn't make any notes about her being pregnant. But I don't know if they actually, like, unless they're told to look for this. Yeah. If they actually would look to see if she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. So she very well could have been pregnant. Like, mm-hmm. we just don't know because it was her body was never checked. Oh. It's upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, Karina's mother, Patricia, had died shortly before the trial, like five oh. weeks before the trial. Oh. So she never got to witness her daughter's murders being brought mm-hmm. to justice. Um, but... You know, like, at least, and I fully believe, you know, like, when you pass on, you know everything. You have Same. all that knowledge. I was getting ready to say, so, I think she knew once she yeah. moved on, once she passed away. And I think, like, Claude and Patricia knew before mm-hmm. they were just waiting for that final piece. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, again, like, you can't rush to put somebody on trial. Because, again, like, if they, like, Jimmy Springer... He could not be tried for murder because he'd already been acquitted of murder. Yeah. So you can't rush to that unless you have clear evidence that this person is guilty of that crime. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I did want to mention, too, so Karina was very funny and happy. And on uh-huh. her memorial page, you know that um, poem, like, Footprints in the Sand, like, Jesus carried you, like, when you couldn't walk, mm-hmm. you only saw, like, one set of footprints, and Jesus was like, I was carrying you. Uh-huh. Well, on Karina's memorial page, her family had put um, one called Footprints in the Sand, <laughs> and they were like, Karina would be looking down at this and, like, be really happy about it, and she would think it's funny, and it's basically saying, like, you were talking to Jesus, and he was talking about carrying you, but he was trying to get you to do it on your own. And you didn't want to, so you just sat down. So those <laughs> prints in the sand are actually your butt cheeks. <laughs> where you just didn't get up and do it on your uh-huh. own. And I thought that was, like, really sweet. Like, yeah, a, a, a good way to get a good sense of who Karina was. Mm-hmm. Because that is very funny. It is. And, yes. And I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure they're all still living because... They were arrested in 2006. The trial took place in 2009. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure they're all still in prison. Um, Billy Field, when he was arrested, he was in his 60s. So he may have passed on. Which, you know, no love lost there. No, no. And Jeffrey Boyd had been like a problematic prisoner. Mm-hmm. Like, repeatedly. Before he was arrested for Karina's murder. He was actually on trial for another crime mm-hmm. it was either larceny or drug trafficking i'm pretty sure it was drug trafficking but he had like caused a big scene in the courtroom like had thrown a table oh good grief and like so when he was they that trial had to be like um rescheduled because he you know he threw a fucking table in the courtroom yeah and he had told people before they he was getting retried for that that if he got let out on bond he would run it's like, you are not getting out on bond, stupid. No, exactly. You're an idiot. You're yeah. a monster. Lock him in solitary. Throw away the key. Well, and this was before <laughs> Karina's murder trial. Mm-hmm. So when he got retried for that initial crime, the judge had him, like, basically shackled so he could not get up and, like, yeah. cause a scene because he was, like, losing his mind. Exactly. Yeah, no, absolutely, 100%. That's what should have happened. Put his body weight on him, you I know? Mean, Shackle him with that. A big guy. Six, mm-hmm. five, four hundred pounds. Yeah. Good grief. The man was a monster. Mm-hmm. Have the tranks ready if he tries to run. Yeah. Good Lord. But it, uh, it's just sad to think about Karina. Like, yeah. she was so excited to be out on her own and, like, mm-hmm. start her life with her daughter. And you have to wonder, too, was she really moving back home just because of the problems she was having with Jimmy Springer? Or was she moving back home because she knew shit was going down and she didn't want Stephanie to be involved Yeah. in it? And it also is very scary to think what would have happened if Stephanie had been in the apartment that night. I don't even want to think about it. I mean, clearly, Jeffrey Boyd and Billy Field were monsters. Mm Mm-hmm. And there was no read. Like, they picked up a random 16-year-old. Yeah. And made her witness to a terrible murder. Mm Mm-hmm. Raped her. And then continuously called to threaten her over the years. Mm Mm-hmm. They are trash. Yeah. Like, no boundaries Mm -hmm. like i mean you can't expect someone like that to have any boundaries but oh it just it's very sad 
It is. And, like, I mean, oftentimes I find myself getting more angry at the murderers in these in these stories. But I just... I get angry because it is so tragic. Yeah. And Someone had her whole died too long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She was 20 years old. Mm-hmm. She's a child still. Yeah. Like, and a young mom. And I always, when I'm researching these cases, think about, you know, and it's morbid, but putting yourself in their mm-hmm. place like what were her last thoughts like she was fighting hard yeah and she wasn't just fighting hard for herself she was fighting hard to stay alive for stephanie yeah and it's so sad to think about that stephanie growing up without her mom and claude and patricia were amazing mm-hmm. grandparents and raised stephanie but like didn't get to like she doesn't remember her mom no and, and that's it ne- yeah. the whole thing never should have happened no, and um, she has a daughter of her own, so it's just, it's just really sad. Like all the emotions that you would have, like trying to process that your mom is not here, mm-hmm. but then when you have a child, like, and you know the love that a mother has for her child, mm-hmm. and then you think about your mom and how she died, yeah, and how she was fighting so hard not just for herself but to be able to see you again Mm -hmm. that is like a completely different level of pain that you have to process yeah it's such a shame yeah but that is that is the tragic murder of Karina Mullen Mm, that's I'm glad she lives on like through her memory of her daughter daughter, I really truly am yeah her daughter and her mm-hmm. granddaughter now. And yes. Claude did pass away um, a few years ago. But I know that, you know, her siblings and her daughter don't mm-hmm. forget her. Absolutely not. Well, yay. Thank you for telling us that. I, I had no clue. I didn't even know about that one. I never I, heard of it until tonight. I knew it was dark and I meant to actually get you like a treat or something <laughs> to like lessen the the blow it's okay i gave myself a lot of treats today (laughs) well and honestly when i was out today i was just so consumed with like 50 billion other things that Mm -hmm. i didn't even think about it until literally just now in this moment when i'm like oh damn that was really dark i should have like (laughs) done something but oh you know what i did I baked some chocolate chip pumpkin bread. You did. So, I get to try that. <laughs> yeah, I completely forgot that I just did that. And I literally just did that right before we started recording. Yes, the house smells amazing, listeners. Too bad we don't have smell-a-vision or smell-a-listen yet. Yes, yeah, smell <laughs> It should be really good, too, because it's like, you know, more natural. I use the honey that I got at the farmer's market. Yay. I'm very excited about that. Stark chocolate, my favorite. <laughs> So, anyway. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay safe. Bye. Wait. Bye. No, we're not by saying bye yet. We're going to tell them where they can find us online. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Forgot about that. Uh, we're on Instagram at Monsters and Murder Pod, and you can reach us at Monsters and Murder Pod at gmail.com. Yes. Let us know what you think. Let yes. Sam know if you want a recipe. I don't know if she'll share it or not, but we just talked about it and probably made everyone listening hungry. Yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> share it. It's. Not a, it's not a secret recipe. This is not the Colonel's chicken. <laughs> <laughs> but all right. Now until next time. Yes. Stay safe. Bye. Bye. Bye.